Welcome to the pod version of the Movement videocast. I am your teacher and your host, Linus Johansson. You'll find this videocast on movedo.com. That's M-O-V-D-O-O.com. Let's start the episode. In this episode, I want to address the core and explain to you why it doesn't exist, seen from this perspective. So, I put the title The Core on this episode just to catch your attention, because I know that you know that you think you know what the core is. Because in the ordinary fitness and movement world and exercise world and even in the therapeutic world, we use the terminology the core. And what we are after is something in the center of the human body that stabilizes the spine and everything around the trunk or around the torso, really. But that is a simplification of something much more complex. And once again, the language we use lack to describe the complexity. So we simplify and we put titles on stuff, on things, on attributes, on on uh, things we see and that we find in the human form and function, we title them accordingly, saying the core, saying muscles, saying uh, cardiovascular capacity, and so on and so on. And that's all good and fair because that aids us in the communication and we can build uh, exercise programs and we can have uh, uniformity around this thing that we are. However, at the same time as it simplifies things and talking of and understanding things, it also minimizes the abilities to uh, develop and explore, understand and get more out of the human form and function. If you believe that the core is just a box oriented somewhere around here, engaging deep uh, core muscles, then you're seeing it from that perspective. But if you see it as I do, springing from the fingertips all the way into the body, all the way down into the feet and out to the toes and all the way back up and out again in form of the ability to move and have everything connected, then the core would be everything. So there can't be just an area bordered off that is supposed to represent something that is called the core and that would engage uh, or really create some kind of stable function for all other movements. And yeah, sure, I'm aware that a lot of people say the core and then use it in a much more complex way. And that's fine, really, but the thing is... Still, when you're communicating and when you're talking of minimized and simplified uh, assumptions, really, of how things work in the body, 
then you really hinder yourself in the way you want to communicate the knowledge you have. So instead of talking of the core, one can instead talk of the complexity, the all-engaging complexity. And yeah, that becomes a bit fluffy uh, uh, in, on the edges in relation to the core, which is really you know, marked off. We know what that is and we know what muscles are included in that. But when you get a new perspective, or rather this perspective of seeing, understanding and acknowledging the human form, then really that idea of it being boarded off and being this uh, thing that is just doing that and engaging only those muscles, that really does become unhelpful and not contributing to the process you're in. So in this first part of this episode, I just want to elaborate and talk of how I see it, how I understand that it's connected. And in the second episode that you find here on movedo.com, I will show you two movement programs, really, that engages the core as if it were sprung from the toes all the way up out into the fingertips, back down again. So it's a total uh, body engaging program that really hits or gets what you're after, but we do not acknowledge it being just a boarded off area in the body. You will feel the engagement in what is known as the core, but we will not reach that engagement by having an idea of contracting certain muscles and being still. Rather, the contrary, we will engage the entire body with the focus on putting a challenge to those aspects that are truly needed to get the body to move as a unit doing, during different challenges. And one of them is designed as the quote-unquote core should be used in standing in this erect form where you are on your two feet functioning and working with two free hands moving from one foot to another because if we would have talked about the core that's really what the core is for letting those movements and those forces from the feet transmit into the body and out into the hands either as we talked in in the feet episode have those arms be a part of the pendulum that moves you forward that propels you forward and those arms can only transmit though that movement kinetic energy if there is something to transport it through which in layman terms or this sim simplified way of putting it would be the core but the core is not anything without everything else and everything else isn't anything without the core so there's really you know this it becomes complicated quickly when you try to use that attribute or that that idea of there being a core so what that program is made for is for you to be challenged in a standing position where you can let those movement forces transmit through your body 
and what it's there for is really to get you to understand where where your uh, abilities to develop are because in ordinary life when you are challenged by whatever happens in your ordinary life you can slip or you can tumble or you can lift something that was much heavier than you have expected or it suddenly moved all those sudden forces that comes from outside your body and translates into you needs to be captured by whatever held them or whatever surface you stood on and those forces must be connected all the way from one point to another and seamlessly function as one unit and that's kind of important to understand there are not many core programs that really that challenge you in that environment in standing uh, most of the core programs that you would find out there would be on all fours so you know crawling around on the floor fine nothing wrong with that that's a really cool and great way to engage engage your your connection if it's done uh, what I would uh, say it would be proper, you know, laying on your back doing crunches. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being uh, on your, on your all four, on your hands and on your feet, and doing movement suspended over the ground. That's what I'm talking about. But you'll never find yourself in a situation in your ordinary life where you are crawling around on all fours, you know being as an ordinary human would be out there in the real life. Perhaps you have a very special job that, that requires you to crawl, you know, around in buildings or tight, uh, you know, areas. But 99.9% .9 of us do not. We either stand, walk or sit and do not need to use that engagement. Anyhow, I've also created a program that really puts you into those challenges as well. So why would I do that if I say that, that that's really no point because we don't move like that in our ordinary way? And the answer is quite simple, because it's dead fun. It's fun to move that way and it's fun to challenge yourself. It's the same thing, you know, with bodybuilding or strength training. For real, you don't need that strength. If you need to lift something heavy, you have, you know, mechanical stuff to lift things for you. The same way with having a good cardiovascular capacity, you got a freaking car. You don't need to run that far. You can do it and you do it because it's fun. The one thing I want to put in there because someone goes now like, yeah, but you live longer if you have a good cardiovascular capacity. No, you don't. You live longer if you have a go good social life. Check it out, it's a fact. If you can run a marathon, that doesn't say that you live longer than anyone else. But if you have a great and good social network and you feel that you're a part and you have a meaning in life and you wake up every morning to, to do something that others find useful, that makes you live longer and the cardiovascular capacity and your health added on to that that might 
be giving you a longer life. So don't come running saying that running makes you live longer. All right? Thorny, I know, but that's how I am. So I've created one program that is in standing and one program that is prone, that is on all fours crawling around. The first one is more easy to access and especially designed if you're uh, sedentary already or if you're an older age. So this is perfect for you. If you're a trainer or, or a therapist, use that as an inspiration to train your elderly or your, your patients with back issues that can't really be moving around that, but you find the, that they need this core thing. So what if there's not a core? How should we exercise? How should we move? Try this then. I'm not saying this is the only way or that this is the absolute truth. I'm saying this is how I see it and I view it from my perspective. And in this video cast, I'm going to show you and tell you how I see things, how I view things and how I think and believe and understand and see that function works in the human form. So... It's really, it always comes down uh, to this, that, that a lot of us still lives in this idea that we are bits and pieces, that there are something called arms, that there are something called, you know, uh, abs, that there are something called a butt, a head, feet, and so on, muscles, cardiovascular capacity, uh, stability, mobility. Those are all words that we've made up. I explained this very clearly in the book that I've written and this is important to understand that what you are is so much more complex and really more intelligent than you up here are. This is too much to grasp and we continue to simplify and simplify and simplify. I had to do that as well to be able to understand and to be able to communicate. Although my line is that I still acknowledge the complexity. I say that it's there and I, and I truly say that I don't understand it. I use simplified perspectives and in the elongation of that methods to engage the complexity. And firmly believe that if I keep that thread going from the complexity into the simplified perspectives and methods and let it return back into the complexity to be taken care of by this truly complex and intelligent thing that we are when we move, then you can reach quite close to that what I hold is true. But if you just chop it up, chop, 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 into bits and pieces and say, this is how it is. Now I'm going to train the knee. Now I'm going to train the back. Now I'm going to train my cardiovascular capacity. Fine. Then you put it all into small different boxes. And there they are. And they have nothing to do with each other. Especially the spillover effect is quite hard to get if you do not... Acknowledge that there needs to be or there is a possibility to that spillover effect. If you just say that, no, I'm just going to do this now. And that has nothing to do with all those other stuff. 
mm, that's really when I think you you trip and fall uh, and you need to understand that everything is just titles the arms are just a name that we've come across because it's quite you know it's there it's distinct it has lines and it has forms and it looks like it would be a separate unit to the rest of the body but tell me where are the borders where are the dotted lines on your body saying that then that's where the arm ends and that's where the pectoralis and the torso starts and that's where really the chest stops and goes into become whatever and turns around become a back you know there are no lines, there are no borders. They are only in your head, they are not in your body. And that's why I think it's so important that you find a way, you find an idea, you find a perspective that you like and that you are, you know, finding a lot of cool methods and way of working that really suits how you want to do it. And once again, sure, I'm not saying that chopping up stuff and putting it into small boxes are wrong. Going to any hospital and doing it that way, that, you know, that saved a lot of life each day when a doctor, you know, that is specialized in one little thing, do his little thing or hers little thing and save that person's life, you know, going into a heart and, you know, fix something. And that, 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 the, the, the cool thing is that that truly really works but if I could just grab that uh, topic and say that what happens there is also truly really special because my grandfather he has his had an operation on his heart twice each time he had them that operation he's gone into depression and you know there is something more than just a pump that you know shoves around the circulates the blood in your veins in your vessels the heart is something so much more how come that when a doctor goes in and they don't do a big thing you know the first thing that was that he, you know some with an artery that got stuck you know that balloon thing they expanded that and the second thing was i can't really remember what it was but each time he got into a depression so the heart isn't just a little pump that is put in one box. It is for the doctor and God bless him. He saved my grandfather's life twice, but not acknowledging and not understanding that whatever you did when you went into that tissue had a poke around in that heart that also affected the entire system. My grandfather was affected as a unit. He became someone else when he became depressed. So that heart reached all the way up here. And in as a collateral effect of that, he also changed the way he, he lived and what, what he felt and so on. So having a really advanced medical system would be, and we're probably going to see it more and more and more, is that you know when i've done a heart operation i know that i need to take this patient to the next level where it's also sought after so we don't get him in a depression and that could be by you know whatever just talking just moving just accepting working with this instead of just shoving your mouth full of pills 
So yeah, I'm up for the more holistic approach to stuff and to things. And I think that we're going there, having the ordinary medicine accept that and, you know, adapt to that, that that are many years to come. And if I will ever see that in my lifetime, it's a big question. But I do know that where I work and how I can see, treat and work with people... That's where I can be really holistic, saying that, yeah, those fingertips are connected with those toes on the other side and forces are transmitted and they're not transmitted through a core, they're transmitted through an entire unit. This unit needs to be challenged at that perfect level that that person is at and they don't need to do it too much, uh, overdo it. Uh, they need to be on that perfect edge because if you want to develop a person I work with the principle that each movement you do should challenge you and yet you should feel successful when doing it are you with me on that it shouldn't be too easy because that's that then it doesn't become a challenge for you and it shouldn't be too hard because then you don't get the feeling of success. And mixing those two and really balancing those two together creates that perfect focus point for a body to develop. And yeah, that adapts. So when you put a person into a movement program, an exercise program, and you find that perfect spot, you've challenged them, they feel successful, they want to do it again, they grow, and of course, the challenges has to grow with the person's growth. They become stronger, more coordinated, more um, uh, sufficient, more, more elastic, more connected, whatever phrase you want to use to describe their development, you also have to put the challenges up for them so they can still feel challenged and successful because you know it's the same thing with running you know first time you ran you had to run for a kilometer and then you, you felt like your heart was jumping out of your body you kept running and a few months down the line running one kilometer wouldn't be a challenge for you you wouldn't run that and feel challenged and successful you had to be running 10ks perhaps to reach that same point of really feeling challenged and successful, feeling that, yes, I've made it, I've done it, I ran this far. And it's the same thing with all aspects of the human body. You really need to find that focus point. And so in these two um, pro exercise programs that are connected with this episode on MoveDo.com, I really will emphasize this and show you how you can do this to manage that. But once again, we are not chopped up. We are not bits and pieces. We are one unit. And I work with three, uh, should we call them big brush strokes? Really three. They are simplified, yeah, to, to, to be able to reach a person. Because using these uh, brush strokes, I really want to call them that because, you know, we have a big brush for painting you dip that in that paint and you know you just go Poof. there's a lot of 
paint. There's a lot of color. You will hit something. Something will be covered in paint. And this is the same thing with these two. These are three global actions that will engage, you know, tons of local actions. And these are global actions that any ordinary person without any bigger experience of movement or education really can just go, all right, I can do that. I can understand that. And you can give them those, these three and you can have them engage these into the movements. For example, these that I'm going to show you later on in the second episode. And you will have a really true and great engagement through their system when challenging them and having them still feel successful. All right, so these three global actions are the breath, the grip and the elongation. So let's take them one at a time. So the breath is the first one. Breathing in, breathing out, something you do each day. The first thing you did when you came into this world and the absolute last thing you will do when you leave this world. Your breaths are counted, my friend. There are a certain amount of them and they aren't that many, actually. And they are really the... I like to see the breath as the, uh, the movement of life. Without the breath... There are nothing. You can hold your breath for three minutes tops. Listen, you can survive without water for three days. You can survive without food for three weeks. You can't survive without your breath for less than three minutes. If you haven't gone a Wim Hof you know, course, then you've got five. But that's not too much, is it? Five minutes or less, then you will develop, you know, brain trauma because you lack oxygen in your blood. So the breath is truly amazing. And I will give you episode that, episodes that will just focus on the breath as a separate topic. But in this episode, we'll talk of the breath as this possibility to create engagement and you know them this is probably nothing new for you when you do your squats your heavy squats or your deadlifts you inhale you brace you do your thing and you exhale all right so that breath of breathing in and that movement really of breathing in bracing is something really extraordinary and really cool and here comes something a bit thorny again, yeah? Listen. Intra-abdominal pressure. For, forget it. That is not what, keep, what keeps you erect when you inhale and brace. And yeah, I know, I'm sorry if I ruin something for you. If that's what you're teaching and if that's what you've learned, here's the thing. That's development also. We thought the earth was flat once and now it's round. And you're not, if you're not a flat earther, you also think and believe that the earth is round. The earth is round. But once upon a time, everybody thought it was flat until someone came along and showed you, hmm, it's really not. Once upon a time, everybody thought that the intra-abdominal pressure was the thing that kept us erect, that, that made us not bend 
or collapse when we squatted or we deadlifted. News for you, it's not. Then what is the intra-abdominal pressure? It's a result of something else, right? All right, so what happens is, yeah, there will be a higher amount of intra-abdominal pressure. And if you do lift heavy enough, that intra-abdominal pressure can raise your blood pressure so much that the vessels in your eyes can pop and get pink eyes. So for sure there is a pressure, but it's not the pressure that keeps you erect. How could your thin and quite vulnerable, you know, pelvic floor and your very soft and vulnerable diaphragm be those two caps that would keep you from going flat under load? It's impossible. Yet we use that term. But what really happens is that there is a muscle or a structure, really. Well, it doesn't really exist. And in 10% of uh, the population, when you look into a body, it truly do not exist. Actually, you can't actually find it because it's intertwined with all other structures. And this structure is called the transversus abdominis. And, you know, that's the brace muscle, really. So... Allegedly. So what that thing do is that it comes from the front side. Well, you know, it it comes from everywhere. But if we have to describe it, we from the front side of the body, it goes around and it reaches to the tips of the spine. And it comes in, but instead of going in on one level, before reaching they split up and they become like V-shaped uh, fascial units, really, from myofascial units that comes up. So they're like a bunch of scissors. So, you know, inserting in different tips of the spine and not at the same level as they come in. And what that renders is that when you get a proper contraction of these, the scissors will do like that. They will cut or they will come together. And what happens when they do like that is whatever they are attached to, they will pull that closer to each other's. In this case, it's spinous processes, right? That will, or rather, instead of pulling together, make sure that they don't come apart and render a flex in the body. Or in the spine, really, I should say. And, of course, this is just a small bit um, of that extremely complicated thing that happens when you get that engagement. But, coming back to the breath. So, what you do when you breathe in is that you create a bigger tummy by pressing down with the diaphragm, pressing out. And if you know how to use a lifter belt properly when you deadlift and squat and you don't have that as a just a accessoire at the gym looking cool you know that a lifter belt should be quite loose and what you should do is that you should breathe in and press your stomach towards the belt that belt shouldn't be something that tightens up you you are the one that should breathe in and press against the inside of the belt and that's more for facilitation really 
for you to know that you're doing the right thing. And here's the cool thing. If you got a bigger waist, then you're probably stronger. Because the more length there is around your torso, the better strength those scissors at the back has. Because if you're a thin one, the scissors has to come in a quite tight angle around your torso and they won't be as effective. But if you have a big tummy, if you've got a big, you know, a lot of way for these scissors to work, you get a bigger, flatter back, you become naturally stronger. And that's why you don't see thin fitness freaks at the world's strongest competitions. Those are some big men and women that has a great um, waist, should we say. And that makes them stronger. And what happens when you breathe in and brace is that you get a ton of small scissors that holds your spinous processes together and won't let them bend forward. But that is just a small little part of everything else that is truly happening in this complexity that you are. But the thing is, when you uh, teach someone to get a proper engagement, saying contract your transversus abdominis, and people go like, who the who the way do Ottawa? You what? You have to be. You, you had to go an entire week course to be able to understand and to engage that. And yeah, I know that you can get your uh, students to engage their core properly. And yeah, I know this is a hot topic. And I know that many of you listening has turned this off a long time ago. Because this goes all against what you've ever learned and understand to be true. Fine. There's a lot of things in the world that's this way. What you can do is just listen. Take this in. Hmm. Maybe he's got a point. Can I alter how I teach and get an even greater engagement without saying that I, what I did before was wrong? You know, perhaps. But what happens is that you can say to someone, breathe in, brace, and whatever they need to do, they can do it. And they will have created this fantastic local engagement with transversus abdominis or whatever you want to call it, all those multifies or whatever you want to call them, all those pop and fire. And you don't have to call them by name and have the person engage them because no one truly can. Right? We have, yeah, I can do that with my biceps, but look at all those other muscles that are also engaged. You cannot only engage one muscle this is probably the one that is the easiest to do, but have someone engage something that they didn't even know they had, or nevertheless knew the name of. So how can you really expect that from uh, people? What you need to do is just to, to bring and present uh, a way of working, a way of communicating that is easy to grasp and just breathing. And brace is one of the most fundamental and extremely easy to learn because people breathe every day. All right, next up is the grip. So it's quite fundamental as well as we are primates in really in our foundation. The grip is extremely 
connected into the local engagement. So you can have someone just grip something dead hard and that will transmit into the body. Because when a person thinks grip, that also starts a lot of other motoric programs in their body that the body knows that, all right, if I'm gripping something hard, then it's probably heavy or it's going to move around a lot. So I better brace, I better engage, I better be ready. So the harder you grip something, the more you tell the body, shit is going down. Something's going to happen. Sure, in, in some cases it's quite easy. If you're deadlifting, you're, all, you're already breathing in, bracing and gripping hard. Because how could you not? The, the barbell will slip out of your hands. So in some areas or some uh, movement um, culture, it comes just naturally. But in these two programs that I'm going to show you, we need actually to think of breathing, gripping and creating elongation. All right. So what happens when your grip is that the body sends that something is happening and it turns up the engagement without even you or your client needing to think about it. And that's really an evolutionary gray thing where you you know, where you grabbed onto things and you climbed and you walked, you couldn't think that you needed to, you know, engage each and every muscle. That should just happen when you did certain things. And don't believe that you just, the hands are the only thing that can grip. The feet, have you looked at them? There are five up here. There are five down there as well, right? Did you count them this morning? I do that every morning just to make sure no one get lost during the night. <laughs> So, your feet are hands and your hands are feet. So, when you are standing, you should have an engagement in your foot. And I don't care what you've learned before in other um, movement uh, aspects. You should do this or that with the foot. The foot is made for one thing. Put into the ground, react to that, send tons of movement up the body, receive tons of movement coming back down when you walk, when you put one foot in front of the other. And if you don't walk, then you can create that same engagement by having a foot that is alive, that is dynamic and that is morphing to the movements happening above. And if you just put something flat and unengaged on the ground and hope for the best, then that's really what you're going to get. And that's not much. So you want an engagement both in your foot and in your hands when you're doing these exercises to challenge you and make you or your client feel successful. Right? So breathe in and grip are the two first. And the last one is elongation or extension, creating length. And we often talk about length in the spine I'm not going to go into posture. Postures, posture is not a word I use. It's, it's uh, uh, laden with culture, ideas and how it should be and must be and so on and so, so forth. That's really, you know, a mold of ideas that you should force someone into. Posture has nothing to do with anything. Posture is a po posture's idea. So, 
what I'm talking about is length or creating elongation and that could be down through the spine and that could be done through an arm or that could be done through a leg and that could be done through a breath or even a thought could be lengthened, extended, elongated. Your intention with what you do can reach further if you let it, if you create length in it. So, you know, you have so much more dimensions in your uh, both body and your your um, in your mind than you think than you think. So letting those go and let them function and work and flow when you move is really a cool thing. So it's really just about creating extension. And in as this is the video cast and perhaps you're listening to the podcast, you have to you know imagine me doing a lot of movements right now. So creating elongation in your arms, it's not about reaching as far as you can, as that compromises everything else in the body. So it's not reaching far, that's the idea. You can be still, stay put and still create that elongation. And what happens when you create that is that you get this myofascial tension around your joints. And when those myofascial um, units press on the joint, they also press on the joint capsule and that joint capsule in itself presses on that joint fluid and that joint fluid is really special, it's a non-Newtonic fluid so when it's under load it uh, really becomes more uh, structural so it actually helps to create space in the joint so when you extend you when you get this muscular engagement over your joints you are actually also creating pressure around the joints and that expands the joints you know it's not much but it's enough it's enough for your joints to become more free and more easy to move and use so listen they do not become rigid they do not become stiff but what happens is they become dynamic. They, got, they get more space, more freedom to move, and they do that under control. And when that happens, that is truly and really cool, and that what's, that's really the foundation of creating great movement, controlled new movement that can challenge you and still make you successful. So breathe, grip, and extend, create elongation in that fantastic unit that you are. Challenge yourself and feel successful each time you do it. That's how I see that you truly engage what is known as the core and in my perspective is the entire body. So this was just a brief uh, you know, uh, discussion uh, really showing you what I I think and what I see and how I perceive the human form and function under this topic, the core. So in the upcoming uh, next part of this episode, I will give you these two, let's say core programs, if you will, but you'll, um, you'll see that they are quite different. 
All right, thank you for taking part of this episode. I'll see you in the next.